Hey. hey, we're back at it with Connect This. Wanted to start off by saying that uh, we know that you have a choice in your talking head broadband commentary shows, and we appreciate that you've chosen us. I'm excited to bring back the regular crew today. We have me. I don't think I introduced myself at all last week, so maybe I should do it twice today. Get one in the bank for next week. Um, I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, we have Kimberly McKinley from Utopia. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. And we got Mr. Doug Dawson from CCG. Hey, good to be here. You know, what else would I do on a Thursday afternoon? So. Hey, but we're glad to see Doug here on time this week. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> I decided I was going to be classy and not say we, anything. I finally decided not to invite me to my 20-year-old AOL email account. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, did you did you go back and watch right before? Because, like, we're having a chat, and, and all of a sudden I just saw, like, a little alert that you had tweeted that the show was starting soon. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug's apparently okay. He's just... <laughs> off by an hour. <laughs> uh, we also have our longtime co-host, Travis Carter with UC Fiber. Welcome back. Hey, Chris. I didn't understand. How, why'd you miss lunch today? What happened? Were you sick or you okay? Uh, no, I'm feeling great. Um, uh, my son uh, had a positive test on Sunday, and so oh. um, we didn't want to risk it with anyone. Um and uh, my wife and I both tested negative. Um, I've had no issues. Um, you know, she kind of has some symptoms that she's fighting something off. But I, I don't know. The vaccine seems to be beating the crap out of the virus in my household. So um, no one's really down. Uh, my son is playing a heck of a lot of video games. Nice. So. Nice. Well, well, me and the dog, we missed you at lunch today. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I really missed you guys. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I am a huge fan of pinball, and so I look forward to, to hitting the table with you at some point when you're... Right. We'll um, see how terrible I actually am at it. So. Now, uh, I had a, I did warn people we have a question we're going to start with. Uh, we're going to talk about a variety of hot topics. Uh, certainly anyone that has any questions uh, or things that they would like us to talk about should... Um, uh, throw them in the chat. Uh, we already have one that I'll address from one of our uh, longtime viewers. Uh, but I first want to ask, um, and we already know what Doug's going to say because he went on a little bit of a rant in the green room. Um, <laughs> NFTs, curious if you're long or short on them. Uh, Kim, have you come to a conclusion for yourself? I feel like since I just learned what an NFT was like five minutes ago, it could be worth something down the line. I'm kind of a commitment kind of girl. So if, I want, if I'm in, I'm in. I'm going for the long game. This is my answer here. Travis, are you, uh, are you all about any Star Wars NFTs or anything like that? Mm, I would not recommend people take my advice. I am the guy that bought a pizza back in the day for 10 bitcoins. So... <laughs> <laughs> a million dollars. <laughs> so I'm not sure you want to. Then I proceeded to mine like 1,500 of them and sell them all. So no, do not use. Do the opposite of what I would do. So I am, uh, I guess, very, very, very short on the topic. And and Doug, I don't know if anyone's shorter than you, but you want to just say a word about it? Well, they have a little bit of use for artists who are selling their work legitimately, but. Something like 90 to 95% of them are largely scams because you're not actually buying artwork. You're buying links to artwork, so you just own a link. And so they're just they're just one of those things where if it's it's money if somebody is willing to pay you for it. The long term, it's a fad. It's going to wear out. 
you know, it, there will be some, it'll reduce itself down to stuff that's really worth something. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's largely a scam. So. Didn't they say that about Bitcoin back in the day too? Yeah. Uh, we're not really well, sure if they're wrong or not about that. 90% of the, 90% of those coins that start up and get die are also scams. I mean, there's plenty of scams out there. So I mean, there's, I, there's like a thousand different currencies now. So most of those are scams. I, I'm long. I, I feel like this is going to be a big deal. Uh, I'm a I'm a fan of Scott Galloway um, on uh, Pivot, and uh, and and I think it comes down to there's a lot of people in America that have a lot of disposable income, and I think there's going to be a lot of money in in this sort of thing as we move into the metaverse. So I'm willing to be wrong about it. And Carl Bodie could not be more anti, um, and has a lot of good commentary on it on Twitter. Uh, so um, you know I'm. I'm not going to sit here and like tell anyone they're stupid about it, but I think there's real potential there. I tend to agree with him on almost everything. So there you go. So, <laughs> so Chris, is this a distraction from what everybody really wants to know? What does everyone really want to know? Has the bet been won yet? Are we close? I mean, how much? It's not February time? yet. I still got to go and figure out what the exact date is. <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, that. the debt yeah. has been won; it just won't be collected for a while. And, and you know, okay, okay. if you're going to be you're going to be out of town for most of the year, from what I understand, traveling. So I don't know how I'm going to be able to well, make did, good. Did on we it. work out the logistics. Can I just bill you for them, or do you have to? Be <laughs> oh, I, yeah, you have to must be present to redeem. Okay. Okay. Um. So we're going to. Um, it's nice that we see Ryan Coleman already had a had a comment there. Ryan mm -hmm. helped clear up the the picture from last week. It was a Daz, and um, uh, so Travis was the first one to to suggest that. So Travis got it right. Uh, the photo from last week. Um, we have a different thing we're going to start with this week. Uh, we're actually going to show a short video that uh, our technical director, Henry, um, and I, I don't know, I always feel weird when I'm about to say a title for Henry because it's more like the person who makes all of the magic happen um, is, is who Henry is. And uh, he developed the short video that features some of Travis's crews. And so we're going to play that for two and a half minutes. And then uh, I don't know if Doug or Kim have actually viewed it, but we'll see how they react to it. You're connecting to the internet. You're connecting to a series of networks. These networks are working together to share information instantaneously across far off distances. And when you sign up for internet access through a service provider, you get plugged into its local network, giving you the keys to infinite information. Here's how it works. There are many ways to access the internet from your home, but let's focus on fiber optic networks because they're the most reliable, fastest, future-proof option. When a fiber network is created, technicians will make a web of fiber pathways throughout the community, away from the central office, like the roots of a tree. These fiber lines can either be hung on utility poles or installed underground in tubes that are called conduit. Conduit is tubing that's used to protect fiber optic cable from damage. This fiber service provider, USI Fiber, has built a network in Minneapolis that runs entirely underground using conduit. It runs under streets and the grass lining sidewalks. Once this part of the network is built, USI Fiber can start hooking up homes. This process is known as connecting the last mile of the network. These technicians are using what's called horizontal directional drilling to make a pathway to the house without hitting any other important pipes or infrastructure. When the drilling work is finished, they pull conduit through the drilled pathway before threading fiber optic cable 
through the conduit. The fiber will then run down the street to the access terminal where it will be connected to the larger network. Once it's connected to the larger route, the crew at this home will send a beam of red light through the fiber in less than a millisecond. A technician back at the central office will see a cable strand light up, signaling the connection has been made. Once the crew identifies the address they are hooking up, the technician plugs the fiber strand into a port in the central office. And voila, this family now has fiber to the home service. Boom. So Kim, did we nail it? No, I think that I know Travis has an active e-network, right, Travis? You are correct. There looks like there was some aggregation points in some of those like home to the central office um, videos. But besides that, we were pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the GPON networks will actually put pedestals out in the street. Mm -hmm. Ours actually goes back to the building. So, No, I was just talking about the drawing that was just a little <laughs> technically off. I mean, come on, Chris. I didn't see it. I'm going to go back and look at it very seriously and clearly to see if I see any aggregation points. So yeah, I would just say, cause it doesn't look like it was home run. Just mm -hmm. because it looked like it was passing. Well, we did have a conversation. Everyone on my staff knew that it was home run. So we did talk about that. Travis, you sent me a text that said awesome, but I wasn't sure if it was a reaction to the video or not. No, I liked it. I really liked it. It was very well done. Cool. And Doug, any thoughts? Well, first off, I was a, first time I ever heard building a web. Of mm -hmm. up and down the streets, that sounded kind of spidery, kind of a little bit creepy there. <laughs> but but uh, no, you know, there's surprisingly few videos like that that actually show somebody doing it. As many jillion people have built fiber, no one shows it like that. Uh, I've so talked with people so about great. Yeah, I've, when I've tried to do video around this, sometimes um, the contractors have, you know, been like, "Oh, we have to review it to make sure that everyone's up to doing everything exactly properly, and don't, couldn't possibly show something that might be." Mm -hmm. um, and then it takes like three weeks, and then you get back to them like, "Oh, we don't even know if, we don't even know if we're going to do it," and just yeah. Right. One thing I need to ask Travis about this is I saw it like that you can go from the directional um, drilling into the home without hitting anything else, like sprinkler lines, because I mean. Oh, no, 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 we, no, you, Kim, we, we fix so many sprinkler lines every year. Um, but we, you know, we run up to a nid on the side of the house. Yeah. So very, I would probably say two or three times a year, we will actually directionally bore into somebody's basement. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. While you're there, do you just say, well, while we're here, we'll just throw it in. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Our best one is we directionally drilled into a Volkswagen one time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had one where we drilled into a septic tank. That wasn't great. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> part, the contractor called up and said, we have a problem. I'm like, no, we don't. I'm okay. <laughs> Sounds like you now own a Volkswagen. I'll tell you what was so funny is the kid that owned it, he was so excited because he'd been trying to sell it. And we had to buy it at retail price. So, anyways. I thought you meant like one that was like like some Volkswagen from like 1940 that had been buried and like oh, you. Oh no, this was sitting there just innocently on the side of the road waiting for its uh, owner to come drive it, and the drill head popped out and yeah, let's just say it's amazing what a directional drill can do to the inside of a Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, so the next thing we're gonna do, we're gonna be rolling over in a second into the broadband nutrition label. But first, I wanted to address a comment in the chat um, because this is something that I have strong feelings about. Um, uh, it is the um, 
Um, yep, there we go. Um, I've had people object to the term monopoly with broadband, and they use oligopoly or oligopolies. I am huge fan of the word monopoly. I use it in every opportunity. Uh, curious, um, Doug, how will you react? You can't call it an oligopoly anymore when it's when it's cable companies competing against DSL. It's that's monopoly. There was a time, you know, 2001, when both of the companies were offering one megabit products. You know, that was fair, open competition, except they still got together and colluded to keep the prices high. So oligopoly was probably the best description then. But, you know, I mean, in AT&T cities, they're not even selling new broadband. How close do you have to get to be a monopoly? And so, you know, now it's I don't know that they're an oligopoly anymore when Travis is kicking their butt. But that's a different question. So, Mm -hmm. Kim, any reactions? Um, First of all, I love the game Monopoly in general. So nobody likes that game. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> People play it because they don't know that there's other better games out there, but nobody likes that game. <laughs> okay, I'm the one. Um, second of all, I would agree with Doug for once in my life. So congratulations, Doug. I, I actually believe that it's a monopoly either. I don't think it's an oligopoly. So, um, but I think to each their own, right? I think to each their own of how they view um, competition in this marketplace. She agreed with me. What do I win? <laughs> <laughs> Travis? I was just impressed that we had a viewer, Lada Loma Savona, that we kicked off. I mean, th- that we blocked. That was kind of new. Interesting to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say we it. Have so many viewers that we can actually block them now. So, yeah. Um, so we just learned that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, the, the issue is you really got to ask yourself is DSL even a competition for cable anymore? I mean, cable is so far superior to DSL, so I, I think it would be difficult to, you know, who is the dominant player in most of these markets, and and who will it continue to be for years and years and years? The cable network has, unless there's a fiber overbuilder in those areas, wireless isn't going to do it. DSL is effectively dead, so it's going to be all cable from here on out. Well, even even in a situation in which you might have um, in uh, Minneapolis, let's say, where you have CenturyLink fiber. Comcast Cable, um, some other USI fiber company who knows what they do. Um, I would still call Comcast and CenturyLink monopolies. Uh, And that's because um, the term monopoly, I think, has a lot of value historically in organizing around the idea of a company that just has too much power, too much control. It's not about what what appears in economic textbooks about like, oh, there's only one and da 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 da. It's about the fact that they set the terms uh, of the marketplace and they do it nationally. And so uh, for me, it's not about the number of competitors. It's about the amount of power that they have in terms of setting the agenda. So I, I like to term monopoly and I shall continue to use it. But the, the, the barrier of entry is so incredibly high that the vast majority, what did we just determine? 82% of people live in metro areas that will never be have competition, no matter how much is thrown at it. Well, they'll have competition in, I don't know, 15 cities in Utah, right? Like, couple of counties in yeah, montana yeah. it looks like uh it's 18 cities in utah thank you Boom. yeah i knew you'd, it's probably like going to be 21 by the time we have another show here the way, sure. you, the way you're going i don't want to i don't want to say that that's not important or you know minneapolis is important but until you start getting new york chicago la you know the where everybody lives in this country mm-hmm. you know the rest of us are kind of a rounding error well, that goes back to my bet that we all bet on my side, except maybe Chris, was that like open access networks or immunity networks is, are never going to go into an NFL city. They're never going to. 
I think well, you're wrong, and I think we're going to know that soon. Um, let's not I'm forget. Excited. Let's not forget the important statistic: Comcast, Charter, AT&T, and Verizon, seventy-five percent of the entire broadband market. Those four companies. Everybody yeah. else is a footnote. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. I want to move on to the. Um, uh, thank you, John. I, I'm glad you brought that up, and people should feel free to strategically use the word monopoly or not as they see fit. But uh, that's my thinking on it. Um, broadband nutrition label. <clears throat> um, we have an example that we'll show in a second, but uh, Doug um, was very excited to get Travis's take on this. Um, the FCC has passed the NPRM, the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, that they are trying to figure out how to implement a broadband label consistent with what Congress has told them to do. And uh, that's on the street. We'll soon have a comment period. Uh, but I'm curious how Travis is reacting. Oh. I guess a little bit of a definition here, I think that I'm a little concerned about related to this. So where is the delineation point where this broadband fact ends? And I guess what I mean by that is, okay, obviously things, you know, the, the month to month and all of that is relatively easy. But when we talk about if somebody's getting 300 megabit, 500 megabit or gigabit, does that, is that end at the handoff from the internet provider or does that delve deep into their network? No, that hands, it's at the handoff, right? And then, and then the question is, and, and I guess I would ask Kim this, do you, you know, at least from my experience, you're guilty till proven innocent in this game. Mm -hmm. And so do you, what's your methodology for proving that customers are getting what they're paying for? Um, every install that we do, uh, we do a speed test and record it um, on our technician's computer to make sure that when we leave the house, that they are giving the speeds that um, they are paying for from their provider. Um, okay. After that, like you just don't know, because I think that's what we experienced is you leave the house and they were like, I'm getting five meg. And you're like, no, you're not. And yeah. then you roll trucks, <coughs> and you're like, you are using Windows 95. A gig connection doesn't work on Windows 95 computer. And so it's it's really trying to not say that the customer is wrong, but not to say we're right. And it's like a middle ground of what that looks like. Um, I, mean, I, I would love it if if the this nutrition label just simply stated how much does your monthly bill actually cost. And, and that is one of the factors. Yeah. So you also have to disclose if you have a special, what's it going to be when the special's over? You have to disclose all the little hidden fees. So I mean, I, cable as well companies as, are going to hate this, man. They're going to as well yeah. as um, prices, introductory rates, data allowances, which is the broadband caps, the broadband speeds, network management practices, and among other things. And that's one of the questions is what are those other things? But I well, on this, how often do we refresh it? So if they submit this data label today, this nutrition label, when does it go out? Is it good for a year? Are we going to do it every like six months? How often are we refreshing this? That has to all be determined. That's why the NPRM. Now, the way they write the NPRMs, 99% chance they're just going to pass it like it's written unless they get some amazing comment, right? So uh, so they, what they do from NPRM is they test that actual rule, and then they work out those little details. They're not in there. So, so Ryan has they're, a they're comment. They're talking about implementing by August is what they're, so I mean, this is not, this is on the burner here, so. Uh, there's a comment from Ryan um, noting that uh, firewall and I would say or other um, parts of the home, um, uh, you know, network setup could introduce challenges. And this is where when I visited Travis um, two or three years ago, we were talking about either a fixed wireless product that, that you offer. And um, you were just showing me exactly what people were getting 
at that you had your every single device was reporting to you um i know that you can't do that with like old school dsl um you know a lot of those the equipment doesn't support it but i would assume a lot of the equipment today has an audit feature in which the isp should know what it's delivering to its own modem uh, before it's handed off to the customer Yes, I mean, so so we've gone now in 2021, we've are been deploying technology in the consumer's home where we can run speed tests remotely. Again, you're 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 you know, you've got to prove yourself. The the biggest challenge is people don't understand what this means. So like, you know, to Ryan, I can't tell you the number of like old-fashioned 100 megabit Linksys routers that somebody bought at Goodwill and they still want to keep using it because they spent $20 on it 10 years ago and then insist that they're only getting 20 megabit or 50 megabit through their system it's a you got to do the education and the and that's where if we have a label that says hey we're providing you a gigabit yeah as long as it's just gigabit to the door i think the label on pricing would be very valuable for us and i know it would be very valuable for probably for kim too because we fight that every day we're, we're a flat rate service and people think that their Comcast bill is fifty dollars, but when they're done with it, it's actually eighty-nine bucks. Of, of and you can't you can't go to the web and find the real prices of most no. of the cable companies. No, I, mean, I, I try all the time. You just can't. <laughs> yeah, so. But I, I is this self-reported from the ISPs, or are we like checking what they're saying? Because this, well, yeah. that's that's I'm probably going to put comments in this because if, if there's no teeth behind enforcement, this will be another farce. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, Jim. Jim. Jim's point is sorry, Kim. Yeah. No, it's just it's it's just ridiculous if we're gonna say, oh, Comcast is giving you two fifty, but when I really like do a speed test with everything working perfectly, I'm getting one hundred and thirty. Like it just. So how 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 does a cable company do this? I mean, in a in a perfect world, I feel like we might just be like, well, Comcast has to build all new infrastructure. But like in St. Paul there's some neighborhoods where they're delivering, you know, above what they advertise. And then there's other neighborhoods where they're consistently not hitting that. So and how are they going to report that? Are they going to report that by neighborhood for, and be honest? No, not in a million years. No way are so, they going to tell the bad neighborhoods. And so like, this is where, I mean, how does one honestly implement this? I'll, right. I'll come back to this in a second, Travis, say what you're going to say. Well, and I, go ahead. I, go ahead. I'm just saying that the, the mapping people should be in charge of this. That's what I think. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, it's not just it's not just the neighborhoods. I mean, how does a WISP do that? It's distance related and tree related. Different speed, night, day, different when the leaves come out. You know, I mean, you know, to really do you are they really going to report speeds on these labels by customer? I don't think so. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole lot of problems here. I agree with Travis that the pricing is the one that matters the most. Yeah. Um, so because they, that the customers have no way to know that when they try to buy broadband service. Are we talking about, and I haven't looked at it, I don't think it's on there, but we're not talking about the technology either, whether it's DSL. Oh, no, or, <coughs> that's, that's on here. That's on here. Is it on it? Yeah. Okay. <coughs> then I'm wrong. So, but they have stuff like packet loss. What customer is going to understand? <laughs> I was just going to put that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some of this yeah. does seem like less necessary <laughs> i didn't lose my package it showed up today from amazon so i don't know what you're talking about but i was gonna say i mean one of the things that we saw with the proposed uh testing that was supposed to be done to verify the connect america fund funds were spent 
Doug, stop laughing. Um, <laughs> the uh, was it was sort of the 80 80 rule, right? Was that like you're supposed to be within 80 percent of the speed, 80 percent of the time uh, and stuff like that. that. To me, that seems reasonable. Um, well, no, that's 80 percent, 80 percent of the time. And they only sampled like one half of one percent of the customers. <laughs> well, and, 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 the the I, the challenges. and the ISPs got to pick who got tested. So the, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it was like a mo- it was like the model that I would pick entirely, but there's <laughs> also a lot of that was crap DSL, right? I mean, I gotta think like Comcast certainly can can do a remote speed test on my router. Um, uh, I actually I don't think they can. Huh. Okay. Well, they can turn it off. They can they can send it a number. I, of I don't. I don't. I, don't I just don't think they. I don't think they put the network management tools and Doxis doesn't have that automatically built in. It could be added, but I don't. I bet they've not done that. Well, and the I don't, the I don't thing, think they really care. So Roger yeah. makes the last the last key point that I want to make sure we covered here, which is exactly that. Like, when is the speed test? And Travis brought this up when we chatted about it earlier, which is like you really need to like find out peak speeds. Um, right. So. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think I think you have to find. I think you find just the opposite. What are the slowest speeds? What happens yeah. when the network's busy? That's the speed that matters the most. Well, that's the peak times. Okay. And I, I love that Roger's comment is nobody cares if they get 100% of their speed at 2 a.m. I'm pretty sure he does because I think that's when he does most of his DR games. <laughs> well, that's the thing is if you really want to do it, you know, Sunday night at 7 Central or 8 Central Monday night, that's when you should run your speed test. But let's also be fair. Every single network across the world has breakage in it. There's big sure. breakage in these networks. So if every single person ran speed test at the exact same moment, there isn't a network around that's going to, you know, that's going to pass that test. And there's one other piece that I want to make sure we, we hit on too, which is you know, Jim Troutman says, well, packet loss is actually quite important. How many people understand? Um, the other piece of this that we haven't discussed is that it's not just about the a person shopping for services who can use this label. This label is also an opportunity to build a national database of how much stuff costs in different areas and to compare different metrics. And so um, having packet loss on there, even if even if your typical person shopping for a service doesn't care, it can still help in other ways to have that information in a, in a centralized database. Except for where? 70% of Comcast customers are in bundles. So what are they paying for broadband? Nobody knows, and Comcast won't tell you. Don't find out until you try to drop the other services and then you're paying $90. And so, yeah. I think it's just, it's, we have consumers, consumers are different. How they consume data, how they shop is very different. I mean, I would say that I hear more about packet loss from customers than I should, but the customers who know about packet loss are the ones who are going to be the most vocal about it as well. Um, because they understand. So you can't like, and I agree with one of the comments that came up is you can't just go to the the basic level of speed and price point because there's a lot of there's a lot of smarter consumers out there in this space than i think we give them credit for at this point i'm going to use that as an opportunity to move forward because we have a number of other topics i want to get to um and the next one is um in, in that in that shot of kim there where she was dominating uh, you can tell that she's actually sleeping with the signage that um, <laughs> that she cares so much about because she's poured herself into this project. So let's give a chance for Kim to tell us about Yellowstone Fiber. Yes, yeah, so I'm up here in Bozeman, Montana uh, today, not my usual office. 
And I put the signage behind me because I didn't want anybody to judge my bed making skills since we don't have uh, room service anymore uh, or like hotel service. But uh, we're up here and uh, we announced a few months ago that we're an operational Utopia Fiber is an operational partner with Bozeman Fiber. Well, we like after like announcing this and going through it, uh, this is a really a Gallatin County project. So we didn't want people to be mistaken that it's just a Bozeman City project. And so we uh, went through some names and uh, came uh, down to Yellowstone Fiber, not because there's a popular TV show about it, um, uh, because they just thought that was part of the culture and the brand identity up here. So uh, we, we were here doing a press conference earlier, just announcing that and hearing from our, the deputy mayor and some of the people who have been key stakeholders in making this happen. Uh, it's a $65 million deal of investment going into this county. And uh, it's for an open access network uh, to connect all of the rural and uh, urban areas. So just excited. Uh, and, of- I, yeah. and Kim, it was made possible in part by people who volunteered their time yeah. to do it, right? I mean, like volunteers really made a difference here. Like it's not impossible that, um, I mean, we're seeing this in Vermont too. You know, um, Billions of dollars are going to be distributed across this country based on volunteers uh, helping their local governments make these decisions. Absolutely. When Bozeman of Fiber was created, um, it was created by like businessmen who saw the need. Um, a lot of them came from the schools, the hospitals, and all of these other like anchor institutions in Bozeman. And they just saw a need a long time ago. Um, they started the network. They built as much as they can, but they didn't have any uh, funding to really finish it out. So that's where uh, I, I always say that the Bozeman project is kind of my fault because I picked up a phone two years ago uh, because... Uh, to help them out to see where they were. And now we are here today. So yeah, it's. I think that's, uh, but I think you're right, Chris, a, an important takeaway of this is how much citizens can get done if they rally and really um, think creatively to make these projects happen. And I, I would add, I work now in several hundred counties and the ones who have very active volunteer groups are the ones that find the solutions and the ones that don't have those groups never find their way forward. So, I mean, it's not only important, it's essential, I believe. So. Travis, any questions about Yellowstone? No, congratulations. As, so did you guys acquire an already existing conduit system there, or are you constructing it, or what is the... So Utopia Fiber does not own any of the assets. We are just helping um, on the operational back end. It is actually owned and going to be operated by Bozeman, or was formerly Bozeman Fiber, now Yellowstone Fiber, which is a okay. nonprofit, a 501c3. But have, have they have they dug any? Is, is it live? Yeah. So they had about three hundred customers uh, before okay. uh, we took over, uh, mostly businesses, and now we're really going to go into the communities and hit residents as well as businesses throughout the. Community. Congratulations! What kind of um, construction challenges are up there? That's a different environment than Utah. So it's like the frozen tundra up here. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's it's a little bit interesting of of how like the dynamics and working through some of the dynamics of some of the uh, weather challenges that we're seeing. And I mean, we don't know what we don't know yet. So we're still in the engineering phase of looking at what everything looks like, what, where we can go. Um, so, I mean, in a few episodes, Travis, I'll probably have a, like a better understanding. Oh, I'm just curious if it was like an aerial network underground or. Travis know? wants to know if the elk are slowing you down. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, First of all, if I see an elk, I will probably go try to take a selfie with it. So yes, they're slowing me down. Um, are they slowing our uh, construction crews down? Uh, probably not. But uh, it was like the event today. I've never been at an event that had more of 
really a lot of local businesses and people who traveled a very far way to make this happen. I mean, to put it into perspective, and I heard this number like last night, is that the state has allocated $230 million, uh, to push out into the broadband efforts in Montana. And I mean, we're putting $65 million into this county alone. Um, so it's a significant map, like, and that's not a part of the 230, but that's a significant investment um, in Montana, one of the least connected states in America right now. And so just to be clear, you said the we, that's uh, the royal we, um, the royal the, we, right? This is being money being raised by private investors yeah. who are um, uh, doing it on the strength of the business plan and your operational history at Utopia. Absolutely. I mean, to say that we did this plan and they, the the financing mechanism has really like there's no city backstop. It was this the county was used as a conduit to make this happen and that we were under a four percent interest rate for a non really non backstop bond unheard of. And I think that is a lot of credit uh, to the team at Utopia and uh, and the credit that we and the reputation that we've built over the past 10 years. Um, I know Roger's watching today, so I won't give him uh, much credit, but I mean, a lot of it is because of the leadership team that has been in place to make this happen. So we're, I, I think it's just another project that we're going to see and we're going to see it through. And uh, I guess I will be in Bozeman a lot, like freezing my tail off. <laughs> okay, so we're going to, we're going to transition from that into, I don't know why anyone would give money to that because according to multiple op-eds and reports that have come out in the past two weeks, all municipal networks fail. These things are disasters. Uh, you're fooling yourself. Not only that, the people that support municipal networks are actually socialists who want to destroy the entire free enterprise system. So uh, it seems like, uh, I don't know, it seems like a problem. That was the first time I found out that I was a socialist. That I, Were you listed? Yeah. I only showed up in the footnotes. I wasn't even accused of being a, a socialist. I was like no. forgotten. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm definitely... I'm definitely one of those socialist people who believe in municipal broadband. So I, I had no idea myself. So um, it's, you know, you learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, but you know, that, that was the politest thing they called everybody. So, yes. Um, <clears throat> so um, what we're talking about is there's a couple of reports from different groups. Uh, one is a revival of a report um, done by the Comcast Center at the University of Pennsylvania. It's not its real name. It's just how I think of it because it just so happens to be the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and from a person that echoes Comcast's uh, talking points from my favorite, of course, nobody needs a gigabit. Comcast starts delivering a gigabit. Everyone needs a gigabit. <laughs> so Professor Yu, um, uh, Kim, you've had some react. You've had some interactions with him. Um, so he, he issues a report that says these networks are never going to break even. I do have a history with Professor Yu, and I since I do have a history of him um, writing some stories about the Utopia Fiber history. And when he's asked for the materials, he's only asked for the bad years of Utopia. So I've gotten emails saying, I want your financial reports from 2006 to 2009. Nothing like past then in which we've been successful. And then he comes out and says, see, this is a failure. Utopia is a failure. And I'm like, you're only telling one half of the story, Professor. So until I, I, I don't agree with anything he says because I don't think he's actually telling the whole story. I think he's telling the story um, that he wants to hear, not, not what is actually happening in the US. So um, I would challenge him if he's watching this. Yeah, like let's come and talk about the recent history. And if you wanna give a full and balanced report, um, then I expect a full and balanced report. 
Uh, we know that he doesn't want to give a full and balanced report because in his first report, he reported that uh, even <coughs> though it looked like Chattanooga, Wilson, and I think Lafayette were doing well, in fact, they were going to fail because they had massive balloon payments at the end of their debt term. And when he published the report, I wrote to him and I said, where did you get that? That's a flat out lie. And then he came back to me and said, you know what? I misunderstood their debt structures. I'm sorry, you know, honest mistake. And he, he said, I'll issue, a, I'll issue a retraction and give it to you. And uh, that was very kind of him. Uh, but if you download that report, and I mean, I, I assume today, but when I checked three months ago, if you download that report, it. it's still yeah. clean. Like what, what academic doesn't freak out upon making such a dramatically incorrect claim and fix it? I'm not even an academic. Like <laughs> there's a lot of people who don't even think my brain works. And yet I freak out when we make small mistakes and we fix them. I think Kim is amazingly polite because this, it's a paid hack piece. He's mm -hmm. he, talk about trying to be honest. He he's doing. It's a, Comcast has given him a check to to put out corporate blather. Remember, these reports are not for the public. The public gets them. These reports are to hand the legislatures, particularly at the state and local level, to talk them out of doing stuff. And so that and that's the actual market for these. So it is not clear that Comcast handed him a check. Most likely, Comcast well, wrote a check to somebody who wrote right. a check to somebody, somebody who then funded this, who then sponsored this other thing, Correct. and and, and lo and behold, yeah, right. But that's how we see that with it. the New York School of Law all the time yes. as yes. well. Yeah, that's uh, what I was, and Bob has made a comment about the University of Pennsylvania being behind, like having their name associated with this would be a, it's I, like, I'm wondering how they feel about it as it continues to go on. And what, like, is the University of Pennsylvania behind this? Because their name is being associated and thrown out um, to give him credibility, which. Well, there's know, other people, yeah. there's other people in the University of Pennsylvania who are fed up with him and just, yeah. but I mean, like, you know, he brings in money and universities. <laughs> I mean, I, you're, you have to have search long and hard to find someone who's more critical of the Ivy League schools than me. So like, don't even get me started. But like, <laughs> you know, like, like an ethics claim, like, please, like these, these places like have entire departments that are like, that exist to basically screw over 95% of the people on the planet. So like. Oh, there I go. I'm going to calm down. Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, let, let's not forget, this is one article, and then there's 25 other industries that have the same thing going on at these universities. The, this is oh, yeah, and it's not paper. new. In the 1930s, yeah. you see the exact same thing um, around right. electrification. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's... Right. So I, I do want to say this is hilarious. So one of the people, the group that calls, that attacks us the most, and, and the one that really called us socialists and worse and whatnot, um, um, I got an email from them just before the show. <laughs> Someone reaching out from from ITIF, uh, which is an organization that just exists to take money from big corporations and then say ridiculous things that will give talk shows or news programs a chance, like a, a source to make claims that are obviously not true. Anyway, ITIF used to be a more serious uh, foundation, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Total joke now. Um, Anyway, they're reaching out from Washington, D.C. to propose an awesome broadband expert to consider for your podcast. Joe Kane <laughs> focuses on broadband and spectrum policy. He's the new director of broadband spectrum policy at the Information ITIF. Um, he's a great speaker, so I'm sure you'll enjoy having him. I'm happy to put you in touch and let me know if there's anything else I can help with on this. You know, I'm sure that, that Joe is probably, uh, he comes from the R Street Institute, and they do some good stuff on pro-market policy. In other cases, they're totally bought and paid for by the ISPs, I feel like. So I don't want to prejudge him, but I got a big kick out of them reaching out to me right now. You have all he should be on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got to admit that there's more of a chance that he'll say some true things in spectrum policy than he would about municipal broadband. So, yes. I, I mean, I just have to challenge all these, like, saying that we're socialists. I mean, I live in a state of Utah, and if you're not familiar with Utah politics, um, we're uh, 
probably the farthest thing from called from socialist in Utah. I'm friends with socialists, but they don't like me very much when I talk about my views on the economy. <laughs> like, it's so funny because some of the people who are the newest cities that are joining the Utopia Network are some of the most conservative in the state. I think it's how do you view this? How do you view, like, is this competition? I mean, I guess we come at it from it's a muni open access network. So we're you were enabling the private sector, but it's 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 really comical of how these attack pieces are not even factual or they don't even have any like context behind them because the most amount of muni networks, as far as I know, is is based out of Utah. So uh, I think Iowa has you beat. Oh, gosh, they beat us. <laughs> they beat everyone because they have they're all little tiny and there's a million yeah. of them. Man. <laughs> Travis, wow. you have any thoughts as we're just ranting away on this? You know, sometimes I feel like I missed an episode of this show. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. So what is this? We're talking clip? about my career. No, I <laughs> like this, this thing was released. I, I don't remember you sending me a, a link to it. To oh, it. no, it's just it's just floating around out there. For those of us who oh, like obsess okay. over all the different news like this, it's like it's like the small newspaper in Michigan and like in another one somewhere else. And then, yeah, it's just. But but in fairness with these. I don't want to waste your time, Travis. What are, what are the other options for these towns? I mean, the reality. What are the other options? Right. You're either, so DSL's dead. Uh, let's be honest, 5G and all these wireless things, they're, they're, they're not going to be a, a real home internet service. So if all you have is cable and that's all that's in town, what's your option to bring in any sort of competition? USA. Or as they say, if well, you have cable, what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> well, what if, it's a, what if it's a poorly run cable system? Hard to imagine. Yes, which just describe most rural cable systems. Yeah, so nothing like the ones in in Minneapolis. So. I mean, I don't know what people expect these communities to do. I mean, otherwise they're going to get they're just going to get creamed because well, they, well, you, you just well. gave you just gave the common sense entrepreneur answer, and that's. I mean, I work for cities, but I give them that same advice: only do it if you can make it work financially. You know, cities are not irresponsible about this. They're not socialists about this. They're not giving it away. No, no city, I've never worked for a city who wanted to, to subsidize the network permanently because that, that's that's poison in a city. That's, here's, that's how mayors lose their jobs. But, but, but let's be honest. If, if you're a young um, family moving and you have a you have a choice of communities to move to, are you going to move to one that doesn't have any connectivity? I mean, that, that'd be like moving somewhere that doesn't have electricity back in the 40s and 30s, you know? Good, no. Then I want to jump in. I, I think we saw that. And during the pandemic, Travis, I think that people in the cities who started doing these mass migrations out of the cities went to these rural areas and they didn't understand that a lot of these rural areas are not connected. So yeah. they bought big mansions and they bought these great oh, they did. and then they yeah. can't work from home. No, there's some hilariously bad, dumb people stories from what those people did. Let me let me see. Because they mean, never it, even thought they never thought you should even ask the question. They ever heard of such yeah. a thing. Well, there, there's certainly a lot of people who don't realize that there are places where you don't have good internet access. Um, right. The one of the things that I will say, though, that's like on our side is that you know you have some of the people running local governments or like the, like local government trade associations who are not good at their job. Oh, you yeah. know, the person that's in charge of the North Carolina <laughs> Association of Counties keeps going around telling everyone that's that Sky that um, Starlink's going to solve everything. Um, you know, or that 5G is going to be great. And so if you have people who are supposed to be representing the interests of all of the counties in the state capital, and that person is just woefully misguided, um, well, of course, you're going to have bad policy. I mean, you're basically sending a 12 year old to go out to the big leagues to try to like compete. I mean, that's not going to happen. 
But, uh, but when, I, this is what I don't understand about these small towns. They understand how they derive their tax revenue, right? It's from homeowners and businesses in these communities. It would seem like this would be the one of the fundamental things that you'd want to invest in to attract, you know, customers if you're a town. I was going to tell Chris, if you weren't such a socialist, then they, the, the North Carolina person might be watching your show and get more educated. I'm just saying. I mean, well, that's why we do it. <laughs> I, I try to insult the people I want to educate. That's a very classic approach that I have. Hey, Ryan um, has the best comment ever on the show. In the history of the show by the way, yeah, uh, we need, oh, buddy, we need a we need an ability to put stars up around it, like a heart signs yeah. Yeah. Um, around the comments. Um, <laughs> so I want to I want to um, switch over to uh, as we're getting closer to the end. Um, I was having a conversation with uh, one of um, Doug's competitors, another consultant, um, and um, talking about fixed wireless because I wanted to offer suggestions, and we're going to be doing a post about this uh, to cities, counties, whatever that are going to engage in partnerships or give money to fixed wireless operators. I'm I'm not going to talk all these people into. Um, investing in something that's more um, long-term or whatnot. And even find, some of them may even be good solutions to go with fixed wireless. I don't want to pay with too broad of a brush, but it's a simple fact that there's some companies in particular and others um, here and there who do not deliver and they make these wide promises and then local governments hand over money. And so I want to talk for a few minutes about what should be in a contract. If you're going to give money to a fixed wireless operator in terms of making sure they're going to um, hit their um, their mark and make sure they're actually going to do what they're promising, but make them put their money where their mouth is. But the consultant that I was talking to who has a lot of experience in this industry said, you know what, Chris, I don't know that I have a single client who's satisfied with a fixed wireless solution that they got over the past, you know, five years or whatever. So anything earlier than that fixed wireless really sucked. Fixed wireless is way better now than it used to be. Doug, I'm curious, do you have any clients where you feel like they would come back to you and say, you know what, we're really glad that we, um, we think that we're, we've got all everything that we need and we don't need anything more if they've gone with a fixed wireless solution. No, I, I have a few dozen clients who built fixed wireless with the absolute intention to eventually convert it fiber. So it's a good way to get the customers, get them fast, get them affordably. You know, this stuff isn't, doesn't last real long. It really doesn't. The radios rot out in the open weather. And, and, uh, and so seven, eight years, you're going to have to spend the money all over again. And so, you know, and so some of them have done this long enough ago that they've actually started to replace it with the fiber. And these grants are going to make that easier. So to me, it's a great entry. But in this year of big money, if you put your money in fixed wireless this year, you're missing the one and only boat and you're never, ever going to, you're not going to get another chance to do that fiber except out of your own pocket. So is it seven or eight years pretty generous? No, well, there's, there's physical deterioration, but there's technical deterioration. The, the fact is, there's going to be way better radios in four or five years. So, the, yeah, the, so yeah. So, I um, mean, the radios have literally doubled in capacity just in the last two years. So, technical obsolescence can hit you really quick. So, so the the answer is no. I don't know anyone either who's happy with wireless as a permanent solution. Not one. Not one of my clients. But I have a question for you, Doug. Or do you really think that if they use fixed wireless with this money, that they'll never get an opportunity to use it again, like you get federal funding? I think they will. I think this pot of money, there will be another, like, as we say, what the funding of the week. I think there's going to be funding down the road that they would apply for. Um, but well, I think we're going to have, if it is, it's going to be 10 years away because, you know, the time to build all the networks from this round of grants is going to take forever and a day. You know, I mean, 
Treasury came out and said, oh, this is a 10-year, in 10 years, everybody's going to have good broadband. I think that's what they really think this is. And so we're going to have to wait that long. So I don't think it's going to be two years from now. Maybe, and then we got all the people that we give this money to who screw up and don't actually deliver. So is there going to be a, round, a second round of money to bail them out or to build someone else there? I'm not optimistic, but... You know, if I want to be a consultant until I'm 85, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> what is it only five more years? No, 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 no. no. I, got that, so. I, I, I am nearing into 70, though. The years are cracking. Oh, seriously? I'm 68, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Travis? Broadband, uh, Doug. Uh, broadband. <laughs> You know, I, I guess I'll, I'll echo Doug's opinion. I think fiber is a good tip of the spear, but it is certainly not the, the end game. What I would do is... I think I you would, mean fixed wireless. You said fiber is the tip of the sorry, spear. Sorry, 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 sorry. Fixed wait, wireless. Wait, that's, if that clip ever gets published... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, had that, I had that Rona shot today, and I'm starting to fog out a little bit here, you know, the uh, the booster. I'm on my 97th booster. That's right. We'll just can the show, and we'll start over. Yeah. We'll start back. No, no, uh, I think wireless is a good tip of the spear. You know, you go into an area, you get some customers, uh, you generate some EBITDA, you leverage that EBITDA with traditional bank financing, and you build fiber, and then you come right behind it. And um, at the end of the day, you have a exponentially better network, and... <laughs> You got there using your subscriber revenue for the most part. I mean, I think it's I think it's a genius way to do it. The problem is a lot of the operators I run into, mm -hmm. they get a little lazy once the wireless is up and it's running. They don't really now they got a little cash flow coming in. They got a you know they're they're doing okay. They got a little nicer house and then they think they're going to ride the train forever. Well, it doesn't last forever. And that's what I see happen. All of a sudden, the Lord, yeah. the check at the end of the year, they're going like, oh, maybe I won't reinvest that. Maybe next year. That's exactly. exactly. Yeah. So so, I've had a few guys who are like, boy, if I can just milk this thing out five years, I can retire. Right. Like, what is their motivation yeah. from going from wireless to, to like fixed because or to fiber? Because, I mean, they might not have any motivation to switch, right? Like, why? Like if they, well, we see this with AT and T and whatnot, right? I mean, AT and T and Verizon are like just furious with people that have fiber available but keep taking copper services. Most of the people that I talked about, Kim, are electric co-ops and people like that. So the fact is, they do have that long-term motivation to do it, right? So yeah, a, a little. Yeah, you can remember these little wisps, not the big wisps, but the little wisps who started out of the garage. They don't have any money. Mm -hmm. They are the most undercapitalized ISPs in the country. They don't really, most of them, until they get to a certain size, don't make any money at all. They barely squeak by. So they're not, you know, those guys don't count. They're not going to get the fiber because they, they they have no chance to walk into a bank and get a loan at zero. And, but so, that's what, and I think that's what's being sold, that we'll change, we'll do this, and then we'll go to fiber, which I think is selling a bill of goods that are, is never going to be delivered. So I think we just have to be careful on that. Though. Right. And that's where, I mean, I don't want to sit here and like, and, um, just speak ill of of those people in those situations who are out labor of love trying to connect their neighbors using available technology and guys. stuff like that i think those guys are the most awesome people no, this, no. these are the same people who started dial up isps these are the mm -hmm. these are guys who go my neighbors have nothing i'm fixing it I, these guys mm -hmm. are awesome yes. right it's just a face so that's one of the things that i feel like 
is then so that you're in a city or township and you have some access to money, you want to give it to those folks, but you don't know, you know, some of them are like, Oh, we're going to use this technology. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be able to do hundred percent of the town for like 200 megabits a second. You give them the money. And then a year or two later, like, you know what, like we're going to do half of the town. It's going to be like 50 megabits. And like, that's where I feel like that's what I want to get to is like a performance contract. Well, and, you by, give the, the and by the way, I can now retire in three years instead of five. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> But that's but, where but I feel I like. Th- oh, good. I, I, I just don't think, I don't think these WIFs understand how mm-hmm. much more reliable a fiber network is, how you can sleep at night, how you can scale, how you only have to roll a truck one time to do brake fix. I mean, there's just there, there's so many advantages to the fiber network over the wireless network. They just they get caught up in their just their daily routine of fixing radios, climbing towers. And they, they sometimes can't see the forest from the trees. That's what I've seen. But the, the, the reality is, is the town should dictate that if we're going to give you money, you need to run X amount of fiber per year or X percent of your gross profits need to reinvest back into the newer technology. Right. I mean, that's yeah. where that's where I want to jump in to say, I feel like that's where we're going to try and grab some contracts to as examples. But like to say, all right, you know, in one year, you're expected to be able to deliver to X percent of the homes this level of service. It will be independently tested using this mechanism. And if you don't hit that, then there's penalties or you don't get the money. That's one. That's one step. You go down and you have like uh, these milestones that they have to meet to get the money and you pay afterwards. You don't pay up front. That can be hard because then they have to go and get to a bank to get the money to get a loan. But at least I would think a loan bank would loan on the basis of that money coming. Um, but the other potential one is to say, all right, you need fiber to like these five towers. The city's going to build and own the fiber to those towers, and we will lease it to you at a very low rate or for free or whatever, as long as you hit these goals. And then the city has an asset that it can use moving forward if the provider doesn't perform uh, as expected. To me, that seems like two really good approaches compared to just here's your money. Good luck. I have a better approach. Okay. Don't make a contract with a little guy who's not bankable because he could he, if he gets hit by a car, you just lost your ISP. That cool. they're not they're not a good risk to do municipal money with. And I, I hate to say it, but that's just not a smart investment. You know, now if there's bigger white wisps, a diff, whole totally different story, right? You know, so but there's guys who are well capitalized. But the, a little guy as a little guy, you know, he has He's month to month and they never make it. And, and a large percentage of them fail every year. Mm-hmm. And it may not be for any other reason than he's just not a good businessman. And, and you're really, uh, cities should not be lured into that. They go, he's the smartest guy in the county. I hear this. I, he'll take care of us. But it's like, this is municipal money you're handing him. You know, you should look around a little bit more. <laughs> you know, again, I love these guys, but I don't know if I hand them a half a million dollar check. That's real different. Well, the example I'm using is actually with, a, 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 I would say, a small to medium sized business. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, good points, Doug. So yeah. I think it's a great thing. But what we're seeing in Utah is that these WISP who have the best of intentions have no idea how to deploy a fiber network either. And they are making assumptions. They are saying they can deliver. And you're like, you, they're not. And you're like, you had no experience and you, you made all these promises. So I think it's like what uh, Travis said is that the fiber is more efficient. And they don't know that, but we're seeing whisper getting into this game who have no clue what they're doing and taking a lot of um, like government money and like city money 
and just and basically just blowing it because they just don't know what they don't know. Too. Well, and they're making all the rookie mistakes that because they I hate to tell you, but these th this is the same guys who did dial up ISPs. They will not ask anybody for advice. Well, well and, yeah. and let's be clear. We're not saying that they're. We're not saying what Doug just said is that they're not dumb. <laughs> they're just making mistakes that that Kim and Travis have already done and, and have learned from. Yes. Travis made but, all his rookie mistakes the first year, and then he got good. Yeah, yeah. It, right. But if, but if you, but if, you know, in, in fairness, if you do go to the Whisper Show, you will see that the vast majority of people are have a high interest in transitioning to, over to fiber. Oh, they do. They all know fiber's better. It's just but can't. it is my worry. Honestly, it's my worry about the six gig spectrum. How great it is that that it happened, but does it just rebreathe life into the next wave of? A fixed wireless for the next five years they're going to be chasing now six gigahertz because there's spectrum out there again same thing that happened when we went from two four to five gig it's so. not quite as wild as that because there are some power restrictions on the outdoor use of that compared to indoor i don't think it's going to be as good as people are thinking okay um so we'll see you know i i i'm just you know whatever we can do to keep evangelizing that fiber is the answer you know, that's, yeah. that's like, the mission here. Every time I feel like we're just kicking a dead horse, I run into people who are like, yeah, I think we're going to go with uh, this wireless solution because it's cheaper. And I'm like, over what term? Like, just, <laughs> you know. Like you know I'm going to tell you, wireless is so much more expensive. Mm -hmm. It is it is exponentially more expensive to run a fiber network, or sorry, a wireless network than a fiber network. And the, the, I've been doing it for 20 years, and I can tell you, car, it, it's it's undebatable, indebatable. Let me Google that. Yeah. And you're talking about operate, operating cost. It's operating cost. The, you, you've, yes, it is more expensive to deploy, but to operate for customer satisfaction, customer retention, you know, your your attrition is virtually nothing. You know, when you put it as a full business model together, they're, they're not even in the same category. So, I so Travis. You bring up customer retention, which is something that caught my eye, talking about AT&T's new pricing. Um, Doug's going to bah humbug this, but um, it looks like AT&T is simplifying their pricing uh, to more of a flat and less of a promo nature. Uh, I've read uh, that Verizon had done that as well, and that there's this question about kind of like, are the um, do investors in Wall Street and do others now appreciate that this whole thing of like promos and massive churn is actually not long term sustainable? And are they now going to a flatter pricing that's going to be um, more basic? Uh, AT&T does not have any bandwidth caps as part of this new pricing in for its fiber product in like 90 markets or something like that. So um, hit me, Doug. You misread the press release. They are going to simplify pricing for the two and five gigabit products. It didn't say anything about all the rest of their products. <laughs> no, I thought it did. I mean, the, no, the, oh, no, no, no. I didn't read the press I, release. I, 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 read, I read Wall Street analysts based on. Um, I've, the, I've the read press the actual call. press releases several times, and I believe this is just how. And they never had, they didn't have data caps on the one gigabit product. They've been waiving those for two or three years. So I think they've already had simplified pricing. They should go to it because they're, you know, but. Um, and, and I think they effectively do. Verizon's had it for about three years now. Their price is their price. It's set fairly. They, that way they, they stop negotiating with people. It's a very smart thing because that turnover, no, nobody gains by winning those customers who changed ISPs every two years. Well, nobody, nobody wants them, right? Yeah, you're encouraging churn with promo, promotional prices. Exactly. So, so Verizon, Verizon figured that out. And, and Verizon just had a very good year of adding customers. I think in the long run, that's paying off for them. So, you know, I think that that's working. 
Um, you know, because the cable companies they're competing against are are specialing like crazy. If you go to the web, you're pretty convinced that, that Comcast only costs thirty dollars. It's twenty nine ninety nine. I looked for a hundred megabit product. It's not, but that's what they're going to tell you on the web. So you know, they play those I, games like crazy. I don't know if there's different in markets. I'll just say that whenever I've dealt with Comcast, um, I've been getting flat pricing. Um, and what they told me I pay each month is what I pay each month. Uh, it hasn't been as gimmicky as it was in the past for me. That's just my personal experience. So I don't really well, but, know. But if you get the $39 or $20 price, the day's going to come when it jumps to 70. I mean, it's mm -hmm. flat price for a while. And then it's flat price again at a much higher number. <laughs> and I think that Comcast has gotten better that it's not three months promotional pricing. It's usually like the first year. year and then they go to um, another level. But I think one of the problems is and that the, the telecom industry has been hit significantly on this is that their their mm -hmm. customers that have been with them for 10 years have the worst pricing and right. they don't value their customers. They value the new customers because they give that promotional pricing. And I right. think with that um, pretty hard. So they're trying to trying to kind of like they know that like these guys know they have to compete right now. They know they're being challenged. So they're doing everything they can in order to keep the customers and improve their reputation. So like these cities and are not considering different models. So um, I do like it because I think for the first time, we're actually seeing big telco coming out of the gate and saying, oh, we can do this. We don't have to play games if you really, um, if there's a potential competition in some of these markets. Now I see some of them doing just the opposite of all this. I believe Charter has gone to a very sophisticated model where they are fine tuning their pricing for every single town they serve in. And so that's where this, this database is going to be great in terms right, of the, right. the broadband uh, sticker right. nutrition well, label thing. Their sticker is going to have their national price on it. I'm telling you the price they actually offer to people is different in every town because I work in a bunch of those towns and, and, and it's like, wow, where'd that price come from? Uh, so I think, I think they're getting that sophisticated, which is smart. I mean, that's, they're going to the airline model. So, um, so, you know, we'll see. So they're doing exactly the opposite of AT&T. So. You love Charter, uh, Doug. You love Charter. It's your favorite. Uh, oh, it is. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> now, Travis. It's uh, my eyes. In case I black out here, you know. That's <laughs> Travis, how do you react to all this? Just sort of like, hey, like, come on over to the simple pricing. The water's nice. Yeah, you know, it's what I find most interesting about simple pricing is when you go in and say, hey, Internet's going to be $60. The very first question 99% of people ask is, well, no, how much is it really going to be? Mm -hmm. And people are dumbfounded when you say, no, $60, that's what's going to show up on your bill. Because they're people are just so used to it mm -hmm. being, you know, have you ever seen a CenturyLink bill? They're the best. I mean, they'll have fees on top of fees on top of fees. I don't even know what some of these fees are. I mean, they make this stuff up. No, some of them are truly made up. They're just completely yeah, made yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. Building tax fee or something. I think <laughs> I what the hell is that, right? Well, it, it's really funny because, and I agree with you, Travis. Like, if you look at some of our uh, the Utopia Fiber reviews, they say when they charge, they said they're going to charge you something. They charged you that amount, and you're like that shouldn't be a positive review. <laughs> Isn't that sad that that's what our industry has come to? I feel like, yeah. I think yeah. you, you, Travis, you literally said this to Senator Klobuchar, I think, and like maybe Senator Markey when they were in town once that we had a, it was like yeah. a public meeting and, uh, and he, he just came out and you were like, yeah. you're like, yeah, we've got this crazy thing called calculators and we can, we can figure yeah. out what a customer is going to have to pay before the end yeah. of the month and we can tell them accurately what we're going to charge them. 
You know how I never got invited back? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of times where we get those opportunities, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was pretty comical. Well, did he make a bet with them? <laughs> well, no what, what, really, what, what they really didn't like was my answer is because of the fiber network, they asked how many additional people we want to hire. I'm like, well, none. You know, because the fiber network just runs. You know, we don't need to hire a million people to run this thing, right? So, not the right answer, apparently. Not when the right you're answer, politician, no. I learned. Well, not in a public meeting, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last topic is um, something that I, I, I've talked about a little bit before. Travis really likes the idea, so I wanted to bring it up. And that is something I talked about in the Community Broadband Bits feed with Matt Schmidt. Uh, the city, the state of Illinois had considered and has not implemented, but may still consider um, purchasing material uh, rather than just giving out money. Uh, it may um, build, get a warehouse and put a bunch of fiber and conduit and who knows what else in there. And uh, when the time comes, they can uh, get that to uh, the, the folks who are building networks uh, and make sure that they have the supplies that they need rather than uh, cash money. Um, Travis was like, this is great. And I was like, well, how do we know that they're going to make sure they get stuff that, you know, they don't get the wrong stuff that like ISPs don't want to use. And, and Travis, I think you said there's like 15 things that you feel like would be safe. That would be useful okay. that the state could I, aggregate, you know, in an order and get at the front of the line enough and make sure it's getting good pricing and all that. I thought it was, I thought it was a genius idea. The reason is, is I, and again, I, my only experience is talking to you guys of where we give all these money and there's all these programs, but it's real hard to actually see what actually happened with it. So yeah, if, if we could just basically go to an ISP and say, you, you do all the labor, you do all the installation, you do all the stuff, here's all the parts. And then that would solve the supply chain issue that would you know solve a lot of things where people can start deploying these networks, but we're not going to give them cash that they can buy new Ferraris with or whatever the heck they do and end up in jail, like I've heard with all these PPP money. So. I, I agree, and they're they're you know, all the standard size fibers, standard hand hauls. I mean, yeah, you know, conduit, you know. So there, there is definitely. That, I think it's a great idea too because it gets rid of the inflation too. It's like, well, yeah, I'm I'm giving you a grant of two hundred thousand, but I bought it last year for one hundred eighty thousand. Everybody wins here. So I, I guess I have a question on this: When you're giving it, would the state be giving out for the whole project or just partial part of the project when they're talking about this? So well, when they give you a grant. And let's say you won a million dollar grant, they might give you a half a million dollar stuff and then a half a million of cash. So it's just part of what you get. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I view it as being a challenge because so you might get this stuff, but you still need all of this other equipment and stuff that might be boggled down by the supply chain. So you're just holding on to it until you need it. Like I, I see the utility in it, but I see some challenges in doing it as well, unless you're funding oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they, they can't give you all of the parts, but I think they can say, I mean, in my mind, it's one of these things of like, and it's similar to uh, what we're going to see with NTIA, where um, I feel like, you know what, like, you don't need to solve all of the problem, but like, if you can give enough material to help them get started, so they're not super slowed down by it, you know, and if similarly, like NTIA, we don't want them to them to drop like $500 million on a state all at once in three years, we'd rather have them give 50 million next year, or like, you know, it, it just sort of roll it out more slowly and gradually to, to ease the, the work. So it's not start and stop, but you can just get going on something. I hate to tell you, they're going to dump it all once, but no, the, not if not if they listen to me. I've got great ideas, Doug. <laughs> the main benefit of giving this stuff out is, you know, it, it, the little guys, the little town of 400 people who win the grant, they're never going to get fiber when they order. They are at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, that might be their only chance to get it before they all die. And so, you know, so, and so the, if, you know, and again, fiber and conduit, the few things that are the really long waiting times, the, most of the other stuff is not that bad. There's a few things that are, but, you know, you're not waiting all that long anymore for ONTs and stuff, are you, Travis? Uh, we, we have a um, believe it or not, we just put put uh, our first order in for 2024 for ONTs. Yeah. Kim, what were you gonna say? I was like, we're seeing like really long lead times with ONTs too, but I mean, I think that this supply and these these parts are really critical to the process. But I think that there's a lot of issues, and I think Jim um, in the chat said something, but there's like the engineering can you get a lot of these even other parts done? And I think we have to focus on all parts, uh, to get these projects accomplished and not just this one part, which is the materials. I I, I, I do have one worry and that if we make this giant warehouse with $14 million of fibers in it, they're going to come up out on Monday and find it empty. So Uh, (laughs) I did, I did speak with um, for this week, uh, the the gentleman that runs uh, Pluma Sierra telecom, which is a uh, the uh, telephone telecommunications company, the fiber company, uh, fiber and wireless company, just going to keep coming up with different ways to describe them. Uh, they're a subsidiary of a co-op in California, and they are um, suggesting that one of the things they could use, they're like, we can we can teach people to be you know outside plant techs, but uh, we need more fiber engineers and and, uh, and and network you know type people. And if the state was able to have a pool of them available for us to contract with, that would be really useful and that's why there's so many aspects to this project you can't just say if i give them this that it will be successful because we are seeing supply um workforce uh shortages to be shocking there's not a lot of us who've been in this industry as long as the rest of us have like and like how do you find this there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle and you have to fix a lot like a lot of all of them before you can make this project successful I did figure out something when I was skating this morning. Um, um, and I, I want to say that I, I did think about, um, there was someone I heard recently talking about how um, people in rural areas might be more prone to conspiracy thinking because they're often off doing things, you know, building stuff, mowing the lawn on the tractor, you know, doing other things. And they have their, they have a chance to just think through things. I was doing that on my skates this morning and I realized why we have the uh, shortage of the chips. Um, I suppose they're all going into our arms. <laughs> Someone's probably made that joke better than me. He just wanted to make sure everyone know that he skates in the morning. That's that's all. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. story. We found out he's an athlete today. We found out. Yeah, we found that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying, Chris, is now that uh, Travis has a chip in his arm since he got the booster today. He might have three oh. or four at this point. Like the question is, like, how do you avoid crosstalk? That's what I want to know. Oh. I'll tell you what, it's interesting that the fog you get with that booster, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't hit me. I, I, I had didn't it for, I'm foggy all the time anyway, I guess. I had it for, <laughs> I, for a day, I, my brain didn't work. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think what we haven't talked about is that Travis has a new haircut. And, uh, well, yeah, new- yeah, you know, very nice. Kim has new glasses and um, it, everything's new now. You know, we're using all this money we're getting. <laughs> That's right. Travis is going to retire in 30 years rather than 50. Yeah. <laughs> I like so Jim Jim is uh, real quick Jim has the same thing I got. Yesterday we got quoted 72 weeks on ethernet switches. Is the current. I don't it'd be fun to hear what what Kim's dealing with on that front because it's a uh, it's get, every week it seems like they're adding 10 more weeks to the to the timeline. Yeah, like anytime we uh we start a project, we order all the materials like before it goes into engineering, like we have it, like right. 
work. We need right. to buy everything um, ahead of time just so we can have as much lead time uh, before I, like we need the stuff. But it's it is a very big challenge of what is happening on the on the supply chain front. And and I don't know, like I, I like I have a little bit of um, I don't know if this is right. So you have the maps that we're waiting for until some of this NTIA money can get out, right? Can be dispersed. So are we going to see? that the supply chain ease up as these people are not getting the money as fast as they thought they would? Or do you think the supply chain is just going to stay bogged down? Unfortunately, the big telcos are the one eating up most of the supply chain and they're all accelerating. I don't, I don't see it lightening up, unfortunately. I mean, they're all well, building, they're all building as fast as they can build. So we're going to cover this in depth next week. Uh, Kim and Doug, you should feel free to just uh, poke us. If you want to jump in, we have two uh, guests, uh, Monica Webb from Ting will be back and uh, first time guest uh, Robert from planet fiber um, is uh, planet fiber planet networks um, in New Jersey planet network. Um, he is going to be joining us as well. We're going to talk about a lot of this stuff and particularly how do you scale up right now? Not just how do you continue, but how do you really scale up? So you mean if Kim and I join, you're just going to put us on the screen and we could be guest guest us. You could be, yeah, well, you will give you like a five minutes. It'll be a countdown. Uh, while you're... <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, I want to thank everyone. Uh, it's been uh, a wonderful conversation. Uh, it's our last one with Travis in the darkness. He's soon going to be in the light, but, but we might not see him because he's going to be on LTE um, <laughs> as he drives across the country. Wave at him as he passes. Yes, we, we will be doing him from various McDonald's across the country, hopefully. So, But only where it's warm. Is this yes. going to be the one that I did where my face was, like, um, frozen for the whole yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was on airport Wi-Fi, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> So thank you. Um, we will have uh, Doug and Kim back in two weeks. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to have, once again, I'm sure a show filled with all kinds of things to talk about, all kinds of stuff happening. Um, uh, very much appreciates every, every, appreciates everyone's times. Um, just <laughs> slipping into uh, uh, Squirrely Dan here from Letterkenny, um, which uh, just brilliant, brilliant show. If you're not into it, I was recently on the um, talking to folks in rural Ontario from the cities of rural Ontario. And I had to ask, Letter Kenny, good or bad for y'all? Um, they're mostly fans, it sounded like. I have one quick question for you, because you had liked a, a, uh, a gymnast at the University of Minnesota who was just awesome this week. Did you take Did you? Take no, that there? wasn't me. No, wow. that was um, – I, I used to do a lot of gymnastics work, um, yeah. but the, the new person does a lot of that now. Uh, yeah, we had two perfect she, tens. She nailed it. Oh, my heavens. That was yeah, great. she was yeah. terrific. Um, so, yeah, that's follow my Twitter feed. You can get all kinds of great stuff. Um. Thank you, folks. And um, Doug and Kim, don't hang up too quick. We got an after party, and y'all okay. can can just wonder how great that after party is. Uh, okay. But we'll be back next week. Thank I'll you. I'll be all. back in about three minutes, so I'm really here if you come back. So, okay. <laughs> all right. It's been a great episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.